Hey, Angela. This is Books, books are, are Good, good actually. actually. And for the month of April, which has been an interesting turn of season, we went through mm. like uh, kind of a winter and then some spring and then immediately to summer and then back to fall. Um, mm. We read Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we'll see if we got we if we uh, got the rules down. Um, I don't think we. I do not have the rules down. Yeah, at we're, all. We're like fuck the rules. Uh, we don't have money anyway. Feelings about the book. You know, well, so uh, <laughs> anyway, we'll we'll move on. We'll get to it. Oh man. Okay. Um. So feelings about the book. I think I'll go first. I think he went go first last time. Yeah. So overall, I know this book was written in the 60s because the way he talked about himself was really funny. Um, so, And also some of the terms that he used. Yes. Um, and overall, I thought the book was fine. Uh, I enjoyed more of the tactical parts of it. Mm-hmm. And then um, his reasoning of means to the end, which we'll get to, I thought was... Mm-hmm. Uh, his, uh, that and the moralizing of like past actions and then we're like oh those were bad was kind of like an interesting thought um, granted as we go on uh, there's probably still going to be a uh, you still have to give pause for some tactics um, <laughs> and uh, yeah so overall I thought it was pretty fine uh, there was I felt I hope I'm saying the right word right uh, self-aggrandizing no that's not the word aggrandizing yeah aggrandizing that would not be what it is. But he does like to say, yeah, so back in Chicago, I did blah, 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 blah. And I don't mind his, like, experiences. But I'm just like, yes, thank you for mentioning this for the third fucking time. Yeah. Holy shit, I yeah. know. Like, okay, cool, great. That that organizing that you did back then was, like, what, in the in the 30s, in the 40s? Yeah, the 40s. Like, like so what have you done in 30 years? And he's done stuff. I know he's done stuff. But write about it. Yeah. So um, that was like kind of my annoyance. The book was also really easy to read, like to get mm-hmm. through. Uh, the chapters were pretty reasonably short. So yes. Um, overall, I think the book might be worth something. But I think if you're kind of probably well versed on community organizing and things like that, this you might not get anything from this book except like, oh, that's how shit happened in the '60s, or like th- some tactics maybe have been used but mm. uh yeah and also it's a primer which i thought was pretty i think the story where he's like yeah i had people come up to me and or organizers come up to me and be like so i should be following these rules or whatever and he's just like no you need to like mold to the situation like there is never going to be an action that i write in this book that will uh be able that you'll be able to execute mm-hmm. whatsoever so mm-hmm. um so i thought that was kind of nice that it was like by the way, this is just a philosophy of how to do this, not a like handbook. And I can't handhold your way through this. Also, he's dead, so he literally cannot handhold your way through community organizing. Yes. Hmm. Um. So I agree. This book is fine. Um. I do have issues with this book. Um. I think there are extremely useful things in this book. Um. I would even say like most community organizers. Like, even if they are familiar with the tactics and, like, the ways of, like, engaging in communities, um, and I feel like they should still read this because um, as, as much as, like, 
people think they understand wise. I feel like this book does a good job of explaining whys behind tactics. Um, it's okay. Let me let me let me say this. Um, I feel like this book could have been better if he cut the crap and added maybe a hundred to hundred fifty pages about dialectic. Okay. Because he is clearly engaging in dialect. Yes. He is clearly discussing material dialectic and engaging in your community with the material conditions in which you you exist. Um, like that is like every story uh, and every discussion of like means and ends and tactics and rationalizations and ways of determining sources of power it's all dialect and he he doesn't really directly explain that or even acknowledge it um and i feel like this is a really good practical explainer of how um historical materialism and dialectics can can be and was used in everyday like organizing but because that connection is not made i feel like someone who does not have an appreciation for dialectics an appreciation for historical materialism and an understanding of like even original marxist theory let alone modern marxist theory or quote-unquote modern marxist theory um because modern would be like post-lenin but like pre-the fall of the ussr um in that particular sense for when like he would have been writing this and talking about this um it it could go over your head and you you would miss him um and i think that's a shame because like that could be a really good way to flesh out this book and make it not just immediately like practical but also like more malleable so um, I don't know if you recall, but like at the beginning, he said he didn't want any ideological, like any in there. So if he was, I, even though like in the grand, like even though pretty much the pretty much the pattern, he is describing, you know, materialist, uh, dialectic, dialectics. Oh God. Okay. So, dialectics. Dialectics. So, um, I think he was just trying to avoid doing that. But mm -hmm. if he was writing a book that was more like leftist socialist like audience he i would imagine he would probably put that in there so i understand that i would argue that dialectics is not necessarily leftist okay um and that like historical materialism is was developed by leftists but it needn't necessarily have been um but for sure dialectics and like like hegel like the as a philosophical concept is not necessarily left or right it is like okay. a it's i would argue it's a political okay um now the application of it um can be and often is political because almost anything in the real world is if you drill down far enough uh but I, I do understand his desire to avoid that 
because when he was writing, he it probably still would have gotten like even more smears of like uh Kami Pinko leftist. Yeah. Um which I mean he is definitely left of center as far as like social things go. Yeah. Um and left of center economically, but I would not necessarily call him in the sense that like we think of a leftist. Like when we, I, I feel like when you and I are saying leftist, what we mean is anti-capitalist. Right. Yeah. He is still very much like, oh, we can try to bring the corporations to a to public. Heal, yeah. Which is. But they'll yeah. still exist. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I I think this book could be, there is a better version of this book in an alternate universe where he doesn't write like a 70-year-old who's about <laughs> to die in two years. Like, legitimately, like, the book reminded me of emails I've gotten from my grandfather. Um, it, not to say that the writing is bad, it's just, it has the flavor of an old man. Um, yes. And then another hundred or so pages, like, going back and forth between theory and then application. And I think that would be so much more useful. Um, my other feeling about this book is I do not want to actively like it because Hillary Clinton and Obama and the Tea Party all like this book. Yeah, so that's actually a good thing to segue into my funny story about choosing this it. book. So when I, the reason I chose this book, or it popped up when I was watching a documentary about James O'Keefe. Because he mentioned <laughs> that he used his book to do his stupid tactics for uh, Project Veritas. And reading this, I'm like, ah, yep, I see where he got the, like, how he would sneak into Acorn and do all that bullshit and just, you mm -hmm. know, all that. So I'm like, oh, okay. So there was, that was one so, thing. And then. So, so what you're saying is, like, the material conditions that James O'Keefe had were a camera and. A pimp outfit. Yes, that he didn't even wear inside. It was just part of the intro, but everyone assumed that he kind of wore it, but no, he totally... Yes, yeah. he just wore a button up. Yeah. yeah. So there's James O'Keefe, and then I, when I bought this on Amazon, I saw like a four, like, I think it was like three and a half stars or four stars. I'm like, huh, I wonder what's, you know, going on. Is it because like the Kindle version is like fucked up or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I just kept seeing one star reviews from my Obama recommended this book. And I don't want no Obama like books to be like, uh, five stars and i just kept reading like oh this is where obama uh, got his uh, radicalized like ideas yeah. so i'm yeah. like holy shit this is amazing how much of like just across the board it's just uh everyone has their thing with this book and i think that is very interesting um mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I just imagine James O'Keefe like reading this book, and when it comes to like, yeah, so like the corporation stuff, he's like just skips over that, or like any time the black people civil rights thing, he just immediately skips over that, like yeah. eyes just glaze over, and he's like, yeah. all right, so like, I guess they farted a lot, right? That's what we should be doing. We should just go in <laughs> to and these just offices make and fools just of ourselves. Yeah. Like fucking god. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's all he took away. Um, yeah. Yeah. This book. This book really should just be named Rules for Incremental Change. 
within the system that you currently live. Yeah. I like, you know, as a community organizer, like, yes, that is kind of what you have to do um, mm -hmm. for a larger group. I guess we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, so that that's my funny story of just like James O'Keefe and like me going to the reviews and like, oh, it's Obama. And then you mentioned like, oh, yeah, Obama and Hillary recommended this book. So I was like, OK, well, at least we all we all know who uh, I guess the audience is, which is literally everybody, I guess. Yes. For fuck's yes. sakes. For, for better or worse, it is uh, for everybody. Yeah, it is for everybody, whether you're a Nazi, a neoliberal, a neocon, or a communist. There, there is value in this book. Yeah. All right. Uh, so let's kind of dig into a little bit of the meat and potatoes of this book. Um, so first off, uh, Saul kind of have a categorization for folks, the haves, have-nots, and have-a-littles. And is this categorization satisfactory? No. <laughs> I figured that was going to be the case, but do you want to elaborate? Yes. So um, this happens at both the beginning of the book and the end of the book, where uh, he discusses the haves, the have-nots, and the have-littles in more abstract terms at the beginning. Um, and at the end, he talks about, like, the the American middle class and engaging them through proxy tactics, which he literally just means convincing other people to let you sit and use their like shareholder shares in a company to badger companies into making change. Um, but uh, I feel like he does not understand. Uh, so psychologically, Avalibles exist. Um, but they're called class traders. Uh, the have a littles that he picks out with, that like really got my ire. Um, so he lists Moses, which there were no class distinctions at the time. Also, he was literally chosen by God. How is he a have a little? He has literally the power of God. He split the fucking sea for Moses. He's not a have a little. Um, Sam Adams, Alexander Hamilton, Thomas Jefferson, fucking Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte. Like, what What in the fuck are these have-a-little? Like, no, they're, they're not have-a-little. They're, one, a, 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 a literal, like, biblical, like, vessel for the will of God. And then multiple future rulers of their country. Like, then at the end of the book, he defines have-a-littles as, in America, in the 60s and 70s, people who make between $10,000 and $30,000 a year, which, in a country that had millionaires, multi-millionaires at the time, and was on the way to having billionaires, uh, uh, I, I don't think he's, he's defining that group properly. Um, but psychologically, I, I do think they exist. They're people who think they're better than the, like, objectively, like, visually poor. Right. But they are poor as well. Yeah. They just do not identify themselves as poor. Yeah, I think that is a missing component for when he's describing these as, like, it's, this, it's the psychological thought than the actual, like, material wealth. I think mm -hmm. that probably would have helped a bit. However, 
saying Moses is have a little big choice, especially mm-hmm. Napoleon. It's like have a little, unless he's talking about yeah. Napoleon was trying to. Well, no, he was in. So he was the system. So like, like in Napoleon's come up, like he did start as like a not. He didn't even start as a general. Like you don't right. automatically become a general when you join the French uh, army at the time. Like he worked his way up, but that and and that was certainly uncommon at the time uh given most um generals were usually a purchase position um uh, i i can say that for certain in uh the english army and navy i don't necessarily know if that's the case in the french army but i assume it functioned either exactly like that or close to that yeah i wouldn't be surprised it's pretty close <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they probably did like, oh, the English, they did that, but like they fucked up. So we're going to do it slightly different, but we're still, you still have to pay into it, but we might give you yes. a little bit more perks or some shit. I don't know. Yes. Um, but he like, by the time he was a figure of note, he was not a have a little, uh, he was literally conquering Italy. Yeah. Yeah. For the I- French revolution. Also, like, you kind of point out with just, like, him going up in ranks, like, doing the have, have nots, and have a little, have a littles is too messy of a categorization. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, there are still the people who were the have nots and then boots, quote unquote, bootstrapped themselves up to the haves, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, that just doesn't, yeah, kind of doing that type of uh, categorization just doesn't really cover the gamut of stuff mm-hmm. and probably should have just been left out. I think mm-hmm. it was trying to describe like the stratosphere of like the human condition, especially with in terms of wealth, but it just doesn't mm-hmm. work well here. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's useful framing, especially in the last chapter for like discussing psychologically why people create divisions between who clearly are their closest bedfellows. Yes. Um, but as far as, like, actual, like, material conditions for the groups, like, they, there's functionally no dispute. Yeah. Um, shoo. So, means to an end. An interesting look into moralizing past actions. Uh, how do you feel about this section of the book? So, I... Kind of like this is the other section I did enjoy. I think I mentioned that. Um, mm-hmm. Just the fact that they're him being like, yeah, so we had the founding fathers who did do a terrorism. And then once they got into power, then it was like, oh, other people are doing the exact same shit we did. Now it's bad. Um, mm-hmm. And I I kind of like... I guess in a way, I, I it's almost like maybe we should like look at tactics of like our past, you know, forebears, and then kind of be like either they're good or bad, or we just scrap them because uh, that was a completely different time with completely different technology, mm-hmm. and maybe try not to super moralize some stuff, um, except you know, killing innocents. That's not good. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that. Um, sitting around trying to be like is this the it like sitting around and being like oh is this um uh a good tactic because of you know we're sparing uh sorry 
I think it's a good thing to get out of the means to the end and trying to moralize your like tactic or action kind of you pretty much you get yourself in your you get yourself in your own way and just kind of just do nothing mm-hmm. at the end of the day mm-hmm. and um I think he kind of puts it well that you know we can just like if you can sit there and be like okay the means to the end and then or and do nothing or you can just go forward with something and then probably be like eh, that probably wasn't a good idea or not i don't know if it made any fucking sense there but that makes sense yeah um so one thing that i think so i i also really enjoyed this section um and i think there's a lot of useful like i'm not gonna call it philosophy but like theory yeah um there's some good organizational theory there um in that um he he puts forward that like if you have an end and there is within your material conditions only a single means and the end is justified the means is justified you don't have to quibble about it like the like and great example is like the terrorism that the the american revolutionaries did like they while they economically had a lot of means for like being the the founding fathers and whatnot um compared to the british navy and british army and the british crown um they only had a finite number of avenues for um significantly impacting the the British government and the British economy. And so they took those. And in cases where you have more means, you can then spend the time quibbling about which is the most moral to like reach the the end that you want. Yeah. Um, But it's only like for the have-nots, because, like, this chapter comes immediately after the chapter discussing haves, have-nots, and the have-a-little. And for the have-nots, they do not have a lot of means, but they have just ends, which means for most uh, ends, you can use the means that you have available. Um, Now, are all those means going to be justified? Like, am I saying that people who live in, like, Native American reservations should engage in a guerrilla war against the United States? Yes. But are they going to think it's the right call? Probably no. Um, and that's fair. That's their call to make. Um, but yeah, so I, I do think it's a really good section. Um, I do wish it had more, more examples. Yeah. Um, because once again, it it just becomes like him talking about his time organizing in like the 1930s in Chicago. Um, it, I do think it would it you know it honestly would be pretty interesting to have like a modern day rewrite of this by I don't know what do you think Slavov? Yes, let's go with that. <laughs> um, it's either that or um, I don't know. Wolf, Professor Wolf, perhaps unless he wants to spend a billion billion time or a billion pages explaining socialism. Sorry, I just. <laughs> I mean, he does that for sure. Yeah. he does do that. That's that's his whole game. Um, 
Sorry for the noise in the background, uh, if you're hearing them. My cat just used the litter box. Uh, not really. Okay, good. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's a really interesting section. Also, um, later on, he, like, in either the last chapter or the second to last chapter, the tactics, um, he talks about how a lot of, um, and this also ties into, like, me being like, this is just dialect. This is just historical materialism. Mm. Um, in that, like, he talks about most of his actions were, like, gut reactions that he, like, justified later. Uh, like, organizing for uh, the Steel Day. Um, when, like, he was asked about it, they were like, did you mean to do this on, like, the Steel Day for, like, the implications regarding, like, the the French Revolution. And he was like, yes, of course, blah, blah, blah. When in reality, it was just the only day that everyone could get together. Yeah. Uh, from all these other groups. And they had no thought to, like, what the day represented. Um, like, the, the means in this particular case was that day. And the end was being available to organize. Um, right. And he goes back to justify it differently than the justification that was initially like come to well okay i can only meet on this tuesday you can only meet on this tuesday we're doing it on this tuesday um and so like once again it it does come back to like psychology more than anything else like it's not like like so much of justifying a means is like post hoc you, you can never really justify a means pre-hoc because you yeah. don't know how the means is going to shake out. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can plan for the best for any type of fight or whatever, but shit's just going to either go wrong, uh, go wrong for your enemy, go right for your enemy, or neutral, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know, that can be, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or some shade of uh, anything in between. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. All right. Um, do do. So, big tent organizations, good or bad. So he kind of talked about when you're doing organizing and tr you're trying to get people in because mm -hmm. his definition of kind of he kind of talks about this bit about power is you need to have people, especially when you don't have money. People is power, and mm -hmm. you need to have enough people so that means you need to kind of do a broad strokes of like hey what's your problem and stuff like that and try to incorporate as many issues and other things and especially focus on one issue and then start going to the next once the other one resolves um so the thing is like uh i would say this this part is probably what was very influential for probably democrats was having mm -hmm. a really big big tent type of party however they're still you know of course chained to capitalism but like mm -hmm. the thought of like all right we'll just get everybody in oh some people are racist or sexist but they're pretty good on taxes though they they can mm -hmm. come in um mm -hmm. so uh from a political party standpoint it's i can see that being advantageous because you need to get people to kind of vote for you right mm -hmm. as a smaller community I, I was initially going to be like, oh, no, but then, like, no, that's actually pretty advantageous because you get to know yours, right, in your community. If you know the people who have, like, those issues, it's easier 
to kind of things you need to do. However, mm-hmm. some people might feel that their issue isn't being prioritized enough. And that's probably their number one priority, not Josh gets, you know, uh, an Xbox. Yeah, not Xbox. Yeah. Compared to my priority of like, I want to get a PS5, right? Yes. You know, so there's obviously a give and take with that, um, mm-hmm. with those types of things. So I. I can see his arguments because, like, he's approaching this, again, from, like, a psychological perspective in that, like, if you have a single issue, um, it's very easy to run into, like, okay, we can only meet for this issue on this day, and then the next time we can, like, organize and, like, engage in some sort of, like, tactical attack on this issue... It's not going to be for like two or three weeks. Um, And that means in the meantime, life is happening in those two or three weeks to the people who are engaged in that issue. They may they may not be able to engage the next time or they may get bored of the issue or they may get tired of organizing. Organizing is difficult. Um, And for a people who do not have a lot of capital or any capital, um, all organizing is like effort. You right. cannot pay somebody else to make your signs. You have to make your signs yourself. You cannot pay someone else to go disrupt uh, a lunch counter. You have to go and sit there yourself. Right. Um, and by having a lot of issues, you have a lot of well, one, you have a lot more people who potentially would engage on issues that they aren't necessarily, like, aren't foremost in their mind because they know that other people who don't have their particular issue foremost in their mind will, like, organize with them. Yeah. So there's a benefit. The drawback is that you don't have focus. Yes. So, like... For incremental change, this is great. This makes a lot of sense. For earth-shattering change, this is not the way. If you want to foment a revolution in your country, this is not going to get you there. This is going to water you down. This is going to um, dilute your your purpose and your focus. Um, And it's also going to bring in a lot of people, which in turn means a greater potential for snitches. Yes, exactly. I was I was just thinking that like, oh, you're going to have a lot of people who would be coming in who are feds for sure. And he knows that and he argues that's a good thing because it allows him to create pressure without engaging in the tactic. Which, again, makes sense from the perspective of, like, an incremental change thing. Because they're not going to assassinate him for, like, wanting... I mean, you know, depending on when this was going on, absolutely they would have assassinated him. But, like, depending on the ask and depending on the tactic, um, having a snitch inside is a good thing, given the given the government that you're, or corporations that you're engaged with. now. Right. Modern day, you have a snitch on the inside. They're not going to do, they're not going to bend to your will. They're just, the FBI is just going to wait for you to like fuck around enough until you can find out. 
and then they and the ATF are going to show up and take you away. Um, yeah. Yeah. And corporations are so large at this that, like, the the only, like, business organizations that could benefit from having this would be so small that they functionally should be in your organization anyway because they're, like, a small mom and pop. They're not, like, fucking Verizon yeah. or ExxonMobil. ExxonMobil is not going to, like, put a snitch in your, like, like stop oil organization. They're just going to call the cops. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that is kind of interesting. He's like, oh, it's, uh, it's okay. When it's just like, granted, now he probably would, if he lived to be 200 years old, he'd be like, oh, no, we, we can't do that. Like, yes. the, the technology is just too... They can just be like, uh, call in a fucking drone strike at something, and then we'll just call it uh, oopsie poopsie, and then be done with it. Um, yeah. It's yeah. Or, or even like, you don't you don't have to have a snitch when like functionally like organizers are snitching on themselves through social media. Yeah, exactly. Like you just wait, and then you know? show up at the event, and yeah. then have cops in street clothes like break shit and then call a curfew and then you're done um yeah so like incremental change organizations at this point are not do not get the pushback that um they did when he was organizing because corporate capture is complete again yeah um and any organization that is actually revolutionary like does not want it so yeah, I don't know that that's particularly valuable. Um, but for incremental change, Big Ten organizations, great. Because yeah. it keeps people engaged. It keeps people interested. It, it also means that if you can't do something for a couple weeks, they have enough bodies. Yeah, if you, um, you want to do like a sit-in or uh, somewhere where you just need a hat, yeah, have enough people there to just show, like, strength or whatever, and be like, mm -hmm. oh, we're just going to clog up your fucking department store or whatever. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's great. Um, yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah. There's value in the ideas, but, yeah. Yeah. All right, moving on to what, what we've been mentioning all along, tactics and tactics proxy. Um, and as farting and shareholders, farting. So his idea of tactics. And then initially I was like, what the fuck are you getting to old man? What are we talking about beans and farting or whatever is the fact that one tactics should like pretty much kind of come almost by accident at times. There's no like, ah, yes. And then we just, uh, take out the tactical handbook and this will mm. tell us what we got to do. A lot of it is just kind of by happenstance and also uh, a lot of quick thinking of like, okay, we have this many people, we're going to go do this thing, something doesn't happen. All right, we, yes. we can try to still make a win here by doing something else and just mm -hmm. changing the focus. And also his tactics are very much, the, or I guess his philosophy of it is it's legal and the cops really can't do anything about it. Also, you need to embarrass them. That's his big old thing of like, if the enemy should have like a black eye from like embarrassment, not because he punched them in the fucking face. Mm -hmm. And I do, I agree with that to an extent. Like that, that as a philosophy is really useful for incremental change. Like, yeah, embarrassing someone 
like like a great example like um fucking uh like uh St- Stephen Crowder yes like he like he could have sold his organization to the Daily Wire six months or a year ago for like 10 or 15 million dollars probably not more he wanted more so he didn't and now he's still gonna have fans he's still gonna have diehards but there is going to be a section of his audience that cannot engage with him now because he's a vile human being and they can they can deal with him being vile to people that he they see as foes but they cannot deal with him being vile to his pregnant wife yeah um and a lot of those guys are like or probably a good portion of his audience are like ah this is something that my father did and i'm not mm-hmm. about that yes i may be a misogynist i may be a chauvinist but i am not pro threatening to beat my pregnant wife um just not even because I think it's necessarily wrong. Not I these are not my words, these are their thoughts, his audience's thoughts, but because it looks bad. Yeah. Um and so I think embarrassment is a really good tactic for incremental. Yeah, I think embarrassment's honestly only good for people who have who I think embarrassment's only good for like debates, IMO. Like you need a show that your opponent is very stupid, they're illogical, and they're probably highly emotional. Mm-hmm. And that usually gets a lot of people who are on that like right-wing pipeline or whatever to kind of be like, oh, this guy wasn't as cool as I thought he was, and he just sounds just dumb. Fuck. Yeah. The problem is, though, is I think they're past that in some ways. Right. Because like now they just see it as like, well, Jordan Peterson's crying again. It's because he's so passionate. Fair. He's he's gone all Kermit voiced. <laughs> it's just because he's so passionate. Yeah, I mean, there are obviously going to be diehards, but the people who've been kind of like on the fence or mm-hmm. maybe close to the fence are like, oh, like this guy just doesn't look like it's still the rule of cool, right? Yes. With a lot of people. Cool, cool still trumps. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool still trumps. <laughs> um, yeah. So... But yeah, embarrassment can't be the only tactic, though. You can't be like, that's the thing with like Twitter and dunking on Twitter becomes such a, like, that is some people's fucking personality is to get dunks, to get dunks Mm -hmm. on Twitter, to do it to fucking everybody. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter if they're not like that influential or whatever. You get your dunks in or you get your, like, oh, I ratioed you. Okay, cool. But like, what else? What else is there? And, so another tactic that he talks about, because he does talk about economic tactics, and it's it is a really brilliant one, which was the you mentioned it earlier, the have two or three hundred people um oh, the department show, store. show up at the department store, high up everyone in the department stores uh, as far as the staff, make it so the department store is functionally useless for the day order a bunch of stuff as cash on delivery and then when it's delivered refuse it so you waste their time you waste their gas you waste their man out that actually has happened a couple years ago uh some k-pop stands like flooded a like hot like like gay like report gay people hotline 
yes. with a bunch of shit. Uh, a couple times people like said, oh, we're going to show up to this like Trump rally or whatever. And like yes. they made it sold out and then like no one showed up. So like those things are still valid to this day of mm-hmm. just showing like, oh, yeah, we're going to have like just like flood their shit of just stuff. And they just can't respond at yes. all or think that, oh, we're going to have so many people. And it's like no one's there. And they just wasted a fuck ton of money for an event that doesn't give them any coverage except, hey, by the way, no one showed up to your fucking event. Look at this clown idiot over here. Yes. Um, those are useful tactics. Um, I I even do think, like, for the purpose of getting have-a-littles to care about have-nots and realize that they are also have-a-littles, I feel like embarrassment also can be useful. Okay. Um, and I'm going to defend his farting idea now. Okay, all right, go for it. So his farting idea, uh, listeners, was that uh, in organizing uh, Rochester's um, poor Black community in the, was it the 50s or the 60s? I want to say the, the uh, probably late 50s, 60s. Okay. Let's just do that. Yes. Um, Rochester was functionally a captured city by Kodak. Um, listener, if you do not know who or what Kodak was, um, ask your parents what a camera uh, uh, used to entail, how it used to function before it was point-and-click digital. Um, So this city had a world-renowned orchestra, and his idea was to get a couple hundred Black people, feed them nothing but beans all day, and then have them sit as a mass group, paid, paid tickets, in the orchestra, and just fart. Because farting isn't illegal. Run, running up to the stage and disrupting the, the symphony, the orchestra, that you could get thrown out for that. But 200 people farting in unison is not illegal. Um, and the idea then is that this is going to embarrass the symphony. This is going to embarrass all of the normal symphony uh, goers, attenders. Um, and this would put uh, pressure, like social pressure, embarrassment on the city and on Kodak, because then you can be like, hey, we're going to keep buying tickets and we're going to keep like farting at your symphony every time like you have a show until our community gets the things that it wants and needs. Um, and I, I do think that is a good idea like in in the abstract it's just once again like for people who have like social capital embarrassment is a great way of or people organizing embarrassment is a great way of attacking without attacking even if it's embarrassing yourself because if you don't care if other people are hearing you fart or smelling you fart uh then there's really nothing to be done against you right yeah. Um, so I thought the uh, chapter on tactics was pretty good and kind of, I guess, trying to open it up to it can be crea- creative, but also needs to be kind of like on the on the fly type mm-hmm. of thing. Um, Depends on your material conditions. Yeah. And then uh, 
Oh, yeah. He also, yeah, the material conditions. Because he also said, like, don't just, like, if you have a bunch of people who kind of don't know how to do something, like, oh, yeah, like, giving a bunch of people who don't know how to fire a gun a gun and be like, all right, off you go. Like, that's just going to be awful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. like, you know, the point of, like, know what, like, meet where meet where people are when it comes to this stuff and don't just have something that people aren't also enthusiastic about too because if they're not into it then they're not going to do it yes absolutely um and i'll tell you something everybody likes farting this is true people like farting and people who said they did that they don't they secretly do they All secretly right. do um so another uh idea he brought forth was tactics proxy we kind of brought this up earlier yes. um and essentially his uh, his main thing with tactics proxy was to try to take down corporations with using shareholder uh having people kind of sit in for shareholders or have enough capital from like one person to become that shareholder for like a community and be on these like boards uh shareholder meetings and try to enact change that way which theoretically at the time could have maybe worked yes yeah at the time that could have worked but the way that shit is now that that would not work that would, yes. yeah, unless it's just some very small corporation at that point, like not even, yeah, yeah, it's it's not gonna work just because most corporations these days are owned in such like large stock percentages by like BlackRock or um, other like. Holdings groups that are also, um, what's the word for the um, kind of stock? It's uh, some sort of investment firm. But basically, all corporations at the end of the day are owned by uh, a conglomeration of investment firms. And then you, in turn, are purchasing like a grab bag of investments from this investment firm. So, like, even if you were to go out and find every, like, original stock like shareholder for a particular company um in, in the country that isn't a corporation they're they're not going to come anywhere close to a majority or even yeah. a significant minority yeah um yeah i just think the way that he described the tactics proxy or like his example just kind of doesn't work however i'm trying to think of like another way that you could use this and i guess a way is to have essentially uh agitators within that corporation to be in different areas and try to um like unionize or do something but that's probably not exactly and we call that corporate sabotage yeah so and i am into it <laughs> um i'm trying to think of, like another way to use that it's an interesting idea but unfortunately just things have changed mm -hmm. so much that it's not necessarily possible yes. i guess the only way to do it is like if you're doing some corporate partnership with like some city and then that city has like uh, a public um interest group or something i don't know how to describe that well but some mm -hmm. public thing and they're like okay well we're gonna have be on your board or whatever but like then again they can just ignore them. So it's like, yeah. yeah. And it, the, the whole purpose of this to begin with was to get one, to like get influence on corporations to affect change, but two, to get the middle class, the have a to engage in organizing. Yeah. 
Um, and I don't think that is necessary now either, because I feel like most Havilittles do not feel like they're Havilittles. Yes. Um, like this is a position that like primarily was made up of white people in the like post-World War II boom in America. Um, these are like union members. These are like civil servants. These are like white collar workers. And in the 70s and 60s, yeah, it this is probably the only way to get them to give a shit and to yeah. engage in organizing unless they were like already on the left and like didn't just care economically about themselves. Um, nowadays, I feel like pretty much everyone who would fit that bill either is Republican for the tax benefits or because they're uh, a horrific like goblin um, or they're already on like the left in some way, shape or form and are amenable to organize because they don't yeah. see themselves as have a little. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which makes this last question kind of interesting because on his a way forward or a way ahead chapter, the last chapter, he essentially what's that? Was this to like have the middle class save America by controlling corporations? Yes, exactly. Or trying, pretty much trying to get middle class America into giving a shit. Um, and like he's like, that's that's how we go. Like we we you know ha definitely have like the minorities and poor's, but like we have to get the middle class to like give a shit and be able to do a way forward. That didn't work out, obviously. And also, this motherfucker died. Before yes. neoliberalism came along and made all yeah. of that impossible. Yeah. Yes. Um, I wouldn't say impossible, but just very difficult at this it, point. I mean, I I would say impossible because okay. like he so he already like acknowledged in the Kodak discussion like that like an economic boycott in Rochester would not work. Um, and so he was like, well, we can we can do like the proxy thing with all of these shareholders and then figure out which companies uh, have shares in this company and then um, find shareholders for them and yada, yada, yada. Um, but those those were American companies. Now companies are like 10 percent owned by like uh, this Chinese company or by the prince of saudi arabia or by like this holding company for um the the south african mining like diamond mine company like not only like did neoliberalism destroy the middle class that he was trying to engage and uh, bring them into the have-nots whether they think they're still have-nots or have a littles or not, um, but it also meant that um, the distribution of the um, economic engagement in these corporations is now so further abstracted and also so out of reach for any particular citizen to like try and influence that I don't think it's a possible tactic. Okay. Fair enough. Like, you're not going to convince, like, 
the the crown prince of Saudi Arabia that like he he shouldn't be growing alfalfa in Arizona and then exporting it to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Okay. Fair All enough. You can I... do is make it illegal. Yeah. But as okay. long as it's legal, he's gonna he's gonna do it. But you you can't argue with. It. All right. Fair enough. You just crushed my dreams and hopes. Uh, dash them. Um, I it's fine. Um, yeah. No worries. <laughs> But yeah, so I think also too, besides the corporations, like at that time, change was going. Like the Civil Rights Act, it was like on the mm -hmm. probably at the cusp of either was enacted or, uh, you know, did pass or something when he wrote this book, and it had passed a couple of years prior. Okay, so like I can see him be like, okay, like we have this momentum, we just need to keep going. And mm -hmm. we can eventually get to where we need to be. This motherfucker died. And then he probably, if he lived for, you know, 200 years as a uh, god emperor type of amalgamation of uh, brains and tubes or whatever. Um, Feed me your have-nots. Yes, he probably would have been like, I was fucking wrong. Because, like, no one did. He probably would like, all oh, you organizers just didn't do something right or whatever. Back in my day, we farted a lot. So, like, I mean, they did do like they did carry his tactics forward. They oh, just yeah. Carried it forward for neoliberal capital. Yeah. So, dream is dead. Um, and long live the dream. Long live the dream. Um, so can the middle class save us? No. Uh, and for real, like, super hell no, no. And because it, the middle class has only ever been psychological. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was Rules for Radicals. Mm -hmm. Anything else that you want to add, Jimmy? I know we shit on this book a lot, but it's all right. Yeah, it's all right. Like, it is a nice, like, it's a pretty easy read. It's a good way to kind of be like, instead of waiting for, uh, uh, looking for a guidebook on, like, how do I do community organizing in, you know, like, how should I be doing things the right way? And just being like, nothing you're ever going to do is going to be super 100% correct. You just mm -hmm. need to try to get people going. And then I hope the, the whatever goal you get, you're probably going to get. And then when if, they, if the powers that be try to get you, just you got to you gotta push back harder. So mm -hmm. until you fart. Until you fart. All right. Um, bah, 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 bah. all right, so for May, we're gonna read G Jesus and John Way. We're gonna John Wayne, we're gonna get mm. in some cool evangelical Christian shit that's gonna be fun yeah. and uh, cool headache is in and... like fucking 20 quotes, yeah, yeah, 20 billion quotes, very cool and cool, cool, great, cool, 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 and quote, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, follow up for uh, June is Blood of My Eye by George Jackson actually cool actually cool yeah we're gonna do sarcastic cool and then cool actually like, cool. cool unironically and cool unironically cool yeah might if we get into it deep enough might get us on a list actually cool. <laughs> uh if you don't think we are already then uh all right so remember i, I think we're on I think we're on a list. I just think the lists are so large. Yeah. For the level of concern they have for us. 
that yeah. it functionally means we're not on us. Yeah, so essentially, I just assume the CIA still does the thing where they just collect a bunch of information about people, and they just mm -hmm. put it in, a, like, all the papers in a room, and they're like, yeah, we'll get to that. Those are the yes. agitators, and we're probably on some list in some stack or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, CIA, please remember that books are, are good, good, actually. Actually.